think that is all I have. I don't have a whole lot of announcements usually on Lent services, so I invite you as you are able to please rise. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us ever walk with Jesus. To behold the gift of his forgiveness. To marvel at the magnitude of his mercy. To hear about Jewish leaders, a prisoner named Barabbas and Pilate's wife. Faithful Lord, with me abide. Our opening hymn this evening is from Lutheran Service Book 685. Let us ever walk with Jesus. Let us ever walk with Jesus. Follow his example pure. Through a world that would deceive us and to sin our spirits lure. Onward in his footsteps treading, pilgrims here our home above. Full of faith and hope and love, let us do the Father's biting. Preserve me, O God. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Lord, 
Father, we confess that we have sinned against you and our neighbor in thought, word, and deed. You desire a trusting heart. You desire a forgiving heart. You desire a willing heart. You desire a giving heart. We have followed the temptations of our own hearts and fallen short of your desires. Mercy Hear the good news. Jesus walked to places of rejection, suffering, torment, and death, all for you. Jesus was determined to go to Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha, all for you. That's why Jesus forgives you completely and loves you eternally. Faithful Lord, with me abide. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you set Israel free from the chains of Egyptian bondage, and you set Barabbas free from Roman execution by the power of the Holy Spirit and the saving grace of Christ crucified. 
set us free from every prison that shackles and binds us so that we may be free to love and serve you in newness of life. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And our first reading comes from Exodus 14. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back, and the covered chariots and horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on their right and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading comes from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in this death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. And I invite you as you're able to rise for the reading of our gospel. The gospel according to St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. To you, Lord. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply. 
not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one, of me, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. What's the most famous trial in the last 100 years? that you can remember, that pops into your mind. Was it the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee, which after it allowed the nation to teach evolution in public schools? Was it the Nuremberg Trials, where the leaders and followers of Hitler had to answer for their crimes that they committed during World War II? Was it the O.J. Simpson Trial? If you remember that Fancy line, some of you, if the glove doesn't fit, then you must acquit. Now, these are famous trials. They mention, I've got Timothy McVeigh mentioned in here. You remember the Oklahoma City bombing? But I think of one other trial that may not be as publicly known, but it is just as complicated. It is just as serious. And it was called, it was about a group called the West, West Memphis Three. Now, West Memphis is not in Tennessee, mind you. It is in Arkansas. And it was a, a situation where three young children, I think the ages of eight, seven or eight, were brutally murdered in a small southern town in Arkansas. Now, three teenagers were arrested, convicted, and put in prison for, what, for that crime. Years later as happens once in a while, DNA evidence came to light. Weird facts that weren't brought out in the trial, things that, that didn't make any sense, uh, people that hadn't come forward, suspects that hadn't been investigated. It was just a really, if you ever get a chance, uh, you should watch the documentary. It's called Paradise Lost. And it is a really, really... I don't want to use the word interesting, but it is hard, it's something else. Because you won't know any more about who's guilty after you're finished than when you started. But these kids, they were kids when they were found guilty, 
went to prison. They were in prison for 18 plus years. And then when that new evidence came to light, they were offered a new trial. Now, words here, words in any trial, innocent, guilty, and free. Every trial hinges on these three words, innocent, guilty, and free. But let me tell you what these three kids, who were now grown men, ended up doing. They had a new trial, but they had been in prison for 18 plus years. So, were they willing to take a chance? Even though chances are that they would have been exonerated, but it, would, it was a tricky thing for them to think about. Because the prosecution probably would have let it go on for a long time and they would have had to remain incarcerated for that whole time. So what they did was take something called an Alford plea. Maybe some of you have heard of it. And what it means is that you, you don't say you're guilty. I'm trying to find a way to word this. But you stand convicted of the crime. But you are set free. And you get to maintain your innocence. No civil suit can be brought against you. It's a, it's a very strange thing. So they pleaded guilty to an Alford plea and were set free. Now I bring this up not just as a good story, but innocent, guilty, and free. Sometimes those words are confusing within the bounds of a complicated trial. Because according to the state, they were guilty, but yet they were free to go. Now, the trial we're going to talk about tonight is a trial for the ages. The trial that takes place in Pilate's judgment hall. The accused, Jesus of Nazareth. The accusers, the Jewish leaders. The judge, Pontius Pilate. Innocent, guilty, free. Innocent. I hope we all know who that is. That's Jesus. He is completely innocent. Not just innocent of what he's being accused of here, which isn't really made clear when you think about it. What has this man done wrong? Pilate asks. They reply, crucify him. They don't give him an answer. But Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Sanhedrin had delivered him delivered Jesus up. And besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, sends word to him, don't have anything to do with this man. He's innocent. Keep your hands out of it because he's brought me many troubles today. Smart woman, not such a smart guy. Six time in the Passion narrative, Matthew calls Pontius Pilate the governor. And as Judea's governor... Pilate is sitting on the judgment seat. You think about governors of states that have, well, not all of them have people in prison, but not all of them have the death penalty. Governors, now they don't sentence people to death, but they can decide who gets clemency or not. Well, Pilate, as the governor of where he's at, has the power of life and death in his hands. You live or die, according to Pontius Pilate. An authority I would never want to have. I don't envy any governor having to make decisions like that. 
Jesus is innocent. Pilate doesn't completely understand it, but his wife does. Pilate's wife knows that Jesus is innocent, and any involvement by her husband in this man's condemnation and execution is only going to bring trouble. The New Testament says Jesus is absolutely perfect and innocent. As I was saying before, he's not just innocent of what's going on here, whatever it is that they're trying to accuse him of. He is innocent from the moment of conception, holy, blameless, every day of his life. So any trial he would be subject to would be an injustice. For example, Hebrews 15 says Jesus was without sin. He could have broken bread with the devil in the wilderness as the temptation went, but he chose not to. He could have broke ranks with the Father in Gethsemane when he says, take this cup from me, Father, but yet I will not do my will, but your will be done. Imagine how hard that was for him to take the cup of pain and anguish when he had the power to say no. Always honest in the midst of any lies. Relentless kind of a world where hatred and self-centeredness. Heaven-focused in spite of countless distractions. When it came to sin, Jesus never did it. Innocent, that's Jesus. Perhaps it's pointless to list his positive attributes because I don't think he has any negative ones. Guilty, that's Barabbas. They all had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas was supposedly a Jewish Robin Hood who stole from the Romans and gave to the poor Jewish people. Barabbas was a famous insurrectionist. Now, if you don't, that's a fancy word, I know. Insurrectionists were anti-Roman fighters who belonged to a political group called the Zealots. And they had one agenda, to get Rome out of Judea, period. They were ready to do anything to make that happen, up until and including violence, murder, or whatever they had to do. Even slitting throats, shedding blood. Now, when you think about U.S. history, we've had these in our past, too. I think of... John Brown at Harper's Ferry. Now, we can all agree that slavery is a terrible, awful thing. But is it right to murder innocent people in the name of something that you consider just? We've seen that happen not in the not too uh, far past, right? Well, there's injustice, so I'm going to go out and do something awful. I'm going to hurt somebody because I think that that will stop the injustice. That was what Barabbas was doing. He wasn't a petty thief or a secondhand scoundrel. Roman, Rome wouldn't condemn a small-time crook to crucifixion. Maybe that tells you a little something about the criminals on the cross um, uh, on either side of Jesus. We're, we call them thieves. I think that probably doesn't give enough credence to what they were there for. He was heartless, brutal criminal. Barabbas had anger in his heart and blood on his hands. Barabbas would be crucified by noon, dead by sundown. 
His future was a hammer, three nails, and a very, very painful death hanging on a cross. Guilty. That's Barabbas. And that's all of us, for sure. Guilty. We were born dead in our transgressions and sins. We are lost, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. We were blinded by the God of this age and hopelessness. Our finest deeds are rubbish and manure. You've heard Luther say stuff like that. Unclean rags. Just call us Barabbas. Probably kind of painful for me to sit here and compare you to a murderous, bloodthirsty insurrectionist. But I compare myself too. Because the guilty was set free and the innocent was executed. Isn't that weird? That is how God does things. That's how he did it in the Old Testament. The sacrifice for atonement, even in Leviticus, was an innocent lamb without blemish. Sacrifice for the sake of all the guilty sins of the Israelites. Makes no sense to us, but that's God's way. Paul puts it this way in Romans 7, 24. What a wretched man I am. Not I was a wretch, not I was a bad guy, not I was a sinner. Maybe some of us think that, that after his conversion, he thought, you know what, I'm a, I'm a righteous man now. Now, if you read what he says, he says, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. But he continues to say, I am continually, in the present tense, a wretched man. Not worthy of God's love, not worthy of God's mercy, not worthy of much at all. The Bible calls it sin. And sin isn't some regrettable lapse in judgment or occasional stumble. I think we like to say that, oh, you know, we all make mistakes. And we do. Conceived in sin, we can't help it. But sin, when you think about it, defies God's universal authority. Sin says, God, get out, get lost. I'm in charge here. It's easy in church to want to live in peace with all people. It's harder, however, to act on when you didn't get promoted at work because you didn't have the right connections. It's easy in church to want to help the poor. I think, maybe not always. But it's hard to do that when you see a new flat screen TV. Besides, you work hard for your money. It's easy in church to say one thing and then go into the world and do the exact opposite. I guess we call that lip service, right? Or we have good intentions, but what do they say about the, the good intentions, the road to hell is paved with them? Isaiah 53.6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray, and each one of us turned his own way. You have your way, I have my way. I'm, what I mean is our ways of going away from God. We have our own choices that we make where we stray. Sheep aren't smart. Sheep don't do the right thing, and that's why they need a shepherd. If we were Barabbas, which we are, we could say, I'm a prisoner to my past. I'm a prisoner to the choices I've made throughout life. 
God has declared me guilty. What is his sentence? The wages of sin is death. Let that sink in. Innocent, that's Jesus. Guilty, that's Barabbas. Guilty, that's each and every one of us. And the wages we pay or should pay is death. Now, contradiction time. Free, that's Barabbas. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now, how, how did this happen? Now, I'm going to say something because I don't know exactly what crowd was where. But I'm going to say, on Palm Sunday, they were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now they have gone to that to crucify him. Now, perhaps they weren't the same exact people. And how were they convinced? How were they persuaded by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees to condemn an innocent man who did all kinds of wonderful things, amazing things that, were fo- that was followed by crowds over some criminal who murdered people. The crowd wanted Jesus crucified. And why that is, is hard for us to understand. Now listen. Can you hear him? Is the Roman guard with the key unlocking the door? And does it swing open shouts, Barabbas, you're free. After every disgusting, despicable, murderous, bloodthirsty thing you've done, you can just walk out the door. And this innocent, completely innocent man from birth, holy, without blemish, is going to suffer what you deserve. I doubt Barabbas cared. He was probably just glad he was getting out. Shackles gone, crimes pardoned, free, free. That's us as well. Christ endured not just the Roman nails, the mockery, the beatings, the spitting, the making fun of him. And what do I mean by that? I, it always irritated me, that part where they, they smacked him around and said, Oh, prophesy which one of us hit you. That always made me mad, still does. The gears of God's grinding justice was also hitting at Jesus' heart. It wasn't just the ridicule. It wasn't just the humiliation of voluntarily taking that abuse. Because as God, he didn't have to, but he chose to. For all of us. Now, God never overlooks sin. God doesn't say, hey, that's no big deal. That's not how it works. God is holy, righteous, and perfect. 
Now, that shouldn't be news to anybody in here, but God can't overlook sin. God must punish sin. I remember in seminary, I made the mistake of saying, in retrospect, he corrected me in a good way. But at the time, I thought he was kind of splitting hairs with words. But um, I think I said something about Jesus accepts us, or Jesus accepts sin. And he corrected me. He said, no, 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 Jesus doesn't accept sin. He forgives sin. And there was always something in Exodus that bothered me. And I had somebody at, at the 11 o'clock yesterday ask me how I didn't know this. And it's a good question. But God never leaves sin unpunished. Never. And when I first heard that, it always bothered me. Because I didn't think of terms of eternal punishment. I thought in terms of the things we do here on earth. You know, if I had a bad thought about somebody, if I said something nasty to somebody, if I had some bad intentions, whatever it is, whatever your sin might be, I thought I was going to have to pay an earthly consequence for that. That's how I saw it. But that's not how it works. That's why God placed all our sin on Jesus. The sin of every man, woman, and child that would ever be born, he bore on his shoulders. It's accurate, therefore, to say that Christ substituted himself for the whole world. It's life-changing, however, to say to say Christ substituted himself for me. When we make it personal, sometimes that's what we need. It's true, but we need to know that. My sins, they are many. God's mercy, it is more, so much more. And that is cause for celebration. That's cause for rejoicing. Excuse me. We're free. Psalm 146, 7 says, The Lord sets prisoners free. Romans 8, 2 says, The law of the spirit of life has set you free. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Revelation 1.5, you can see a theme here, right? Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. There are a million ways to become a prisoner. There is only one way to become free, and his name is Jesus. Just think. The outcome of history's most famous trial means that the Savior's liberating power sets us free from the condemnation of sin. Free from the pain of our past. Free from worry about the future. Now, the future I think we're talking about is our eternal future. Now, we all worry about things that are going to happen in our lives. I get that. But no law can stop this, and no power on earth or hell can destroy it. And I think it's important to remember this famous trial had to be one of the worst, most disgraceful injustices of all time. Yet, it was God's perfect plan of salvation. And Jesus knew and stood there willingly quiet. God 
standing before accusers of which he is incapable of doing anything wrong and just took it. Can you fathom that? Can you get that through your head? I can't. Innocent, guilty, and free. They are the most important words in any trial, even sometimes when they get confusing with the way people plead and the way things turn out in our trials. But what would you say the most life-changing word here is? Innocent, guilty, or free. Now think about those guys that made the Alford plea. They were, had been locked up so long, they were not fine, but they were okay to be called guilty if they could go free. It's all about being free. John 8.36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's us. Just like Barabbas, just like the things that we have done in our lives that are despicable, that deserve no mercy, no love from Jesus, but yet we walk free, forgiven, and unburdened in the grace of Jesus Christ. And in his precious name, amen. And at this time, as we collect our offerings, we just want to remind you how grateful and thankful we are for all you do to support our ministry and spread of the gospel here at Faith. Our offering hymn this evening is, Yet not I but through Christ in me. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing, all is mine. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Sing.
every breath. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me Let us pray. Loving Father, we rejoice in the great gift of your Son and pray you may find joy in the gifts that we bring. Onward in Christ's footsteps, treading pilgrims here, our home above, full of faith and hope and love. Let us do the Father's bidding and pray for all people according to their needs, trusting that he will hear us and answer us according to his gracious will. For the Holy Christian Church here and scattered throughout the world, and for the proclamation of the gospel and the calling of all to faith, let us pray to the Lord. For the preservation of absolute truth, and the one true Christian faith. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the inspiration of your word and the application of it in our lives, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For those who reject Jesus or do not know him, those who have been hurt by the Christian church and all those in prison, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For those devastated by violence, war, and natural disasters, let us pray to the Lord. For the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our national, state, and local governments, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the armed forces of our nation who serve to protect others and maintain peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For healthcare professionals, first responders, police officers, firefighters, and other rescue personnel, let us pray to the Lord. For seasonable weather and the fruitfulness of the earth, let us pray to the Lord. For those without work, those who are unemployed, underemployed, and for those still searching for their personal calling, let us pray to the Lord. For those who labor, for those who work as difficult or dangerous, and for all who travel, let us pray to the Lord. 
for the hungry, the widowed, the orphaned, and those requiring special treatment for addiction, mental illness, and other debilitating disorders. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord for the unborn, the abused, the forgotten, and the lost, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for those who struggle with disabilities and for those who provide constant care and protection, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick, the shut-in, the recovering, and the dying, and for all those who care for them, let us pray to the Lord. And we are bold to pray as Jesus has taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus invites us to walk with him to Pilate's judgment hall, a place of great suffering and a place of great love. We will walk with Jesus all the way to the empty tomb and resurrection victory. Now may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you all with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Our closing hymn this evening is from Lutheran Service Book 543. What wondrous love is this? What wondrous love is this? O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul.